Hello, and welcome to Terralex Insights Podcast, where our goal is to present multicultural perspectives by leading professionals. These perspectives on contemporary issues will help lawyers and business people work better together. I'm your host, Terry Pepper Gavlik, Terralex's Chief Business Officer. And today we have the pleasure of talking to two Terralex members, actually. We're speaking with John Sandweg, who's a partner at Nixon Peabody and heads the cross-border risks team for the firm, which is a role he's well-suited for based on his sort of varied background that he's going to tell you about in a minute in government and private practice, but um, just notably including as the acting general counsel for the Department of Homeland Security and the acting director of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And then someone else who's joining us today who is very familiar to our Terralex community is David Kaufman, Nixon Peabody's Director of Global Strategies. And I have to say one of the most collaborative movers and shakers that I know, and uh, we appreciate all that he does for our network. So welcome both David and John. I'm glad to have you on the show today. Thanks, Terry. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. You're welcome. So maybe just um, before we start even defining what we're talking about today, just as a little background so our, our listeners know more about you, John, why don't you start and tell us a little more about your background than what I just blurted out? Sure, Terry. Thanks. Well, as you said, I, I'm at Nixon Peabody, where I'm a partner leading our cross-borders uh, risks team. Uh, prior to that, though, I, was, I spent a few years in government service at the Department of Homeland Security. I actually held a, a variety of jobs, but generally speaking, I was uh, working on U.S. immigration and, and border security policies and enforcement operations. Um, you know, my, I spent a number of years working closely with Secretary Napolitano, then Secretary Janet Napolitano, following that Secretary Johnson, and then was asked by the president to serve as the acting general counsel of the department and then the acting director of ICE. ICE, uh, a lot of the attention at ICE is focused on the immigration piece of it, but I think what a lot of people don't understand is that uh, the C in ICE stands for Customs, and ICE is the legacy U.S. Customs Service from the Treasury Department. Um, it is the second largest criminal investigative agency in the United States doing all the cross-border criminal investigations, including issues related to the topic we're going to talk about today, forced labor. But it's great to be here, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and having us on. Thank you. You know, every time I hear the word ICE, I remember a seminar I did where we brought someone in from ICE to speak and all the labor lawyers who wanted to come up and ask questions at the break were covering their logoed shirts with notebooks because they didn't want to disclose <laughs> what companies they were with. <laughs> so it, David, listen, it's got, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. It's got a worse reputation than it deserves. No, it's a great, it's a great organization. There's a lot of really good work. Uh, unfortunately, the politics, of course, of immigration make it more controversial than it should be in the U.S. I, I agree. Yep. David, everybody in our network, I think, knows or knows of you, but I'm not sure that many people actually know your background or what your role encompasses at Nixon. So maybe enlighten us a little bit. Yeah, it's great. Um, I am um, the firm's uh, director of global strategies, um, which means that uh, I run our firm's international practice. And uh, I work with uh, clients that are doing business here in the U.S. Um, from all over the world and help clients all over the U.S., I mean, from the U.S. do business all over the world. Um, my, my background is that uh, I was in business, uh, so this is my kind of my third career, and my first careers were, it did involve some level of uh, international component, so I've uh, been working in China and in Asia for, um, I think it's now 33 years now, so quite, quite some time, and uh, so that's given me a bit of perspective on uh, what's going on, and I do spend a lot of my time working with clients that have international issues that come up and kind of walk them through it. I'm not a lawyer. 
um, which uh, kind of frees me up to that I don't I don't necessarily have to do any of the uh, the uh, grinding that that goes on that John has to do to represent his clients, and that gives me more time to actually spend talking to clients about their strategic um, goals and uh, helping them connect them to folks at Nixon Peabody or oftentimes folks all over the uh, Terralex network. Um, so you know we. We, we have something involving 140 different countries. And so uh, Terralex covers 100 of those. So that's, uh, that's great. Good. Fantastic. Well, let's turn to the subject at hand. And I've heard it said, and I think it was probably from one of the two of you, that everybody should be worried about uh, you know, the withhold orders related to forced labor. But why? I mean, tell us a little bit about what we mean by all this and maybe define the issue. I'm not sure which one of you want to start on that. John, you want to start? Well, sure, uh, Terry, look, this is an area that's increasing, uh, the enforcement is increasing exponentially over the last few years. Um, and it's something I think we all expect to see a lot more of. But the bottom line here is that CBP, US Department of Homeland Security and CBP, which I'll use the acronym Customs and Border Protection, has been dramatically increasing the number of withhold remove orders that they've been issuing over the last few years. That has a dramatic impact, um, obviously, on, on companies that are seeking to import goods into the United States. Um, happy to give a brief overview of WRO, but basically, Terry, it's a finding by CBP, a preliminary finding, that the goods were manufactured in part or in whole with forced labor. Um, we can talk more later about what, how they define that. But the bottom line is, by increasing the number of, dramatically increasing the number of these WROs that have been issued, it's having a real impact on, on companies that import goods into the United States, the companies that export goods to the United States. And it's something that because of the increased enforcement environment we've entered. It's something that uh, if I'm a company that relies on lower skilled labor, uh, something I'd be very concerned about. You know, it all, all changed in, in 2016 when President Obama um, signed new legislation that really kind of increased the level of uh, oversight and involvement by the authorities in this space. So I think, uh, you know, it, the, uh, the the current, uh, you know, before that, uh, there might have been 40 different uh, efforts to, you know, interdict uh, um, imports based upon forced labor or other kind of issues, um, you know, in 85 years. And, you know, now we've seen, you know, huge numbers every year um, since 2016, and, and, you know, both under the Obama administration and the Trump administration, and now, now it's probably going to be increasing under the Biden administration as well. So this is really a bipartisan issue and really impacts, um, you know, every, every type of business that imports things from all over the world. And the fact that, you know, you can have one of these orders, you know, coming down the pike and you don't even, even know about it. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of a long gestation process within the administrator that someone can make an allegation against you. And until you know, your, your, uh, your stuff gets stopped at the border, you don't even know about it. I know in that there's been lots of headlines about some of these cases. And in a podcast, uh, an example's worth a thousand words. So maybe if, if you could tell us some of the, you know, nothing confidential, but some of the things that maybe have hit the news so they're, they're public knowledge, but maybe some examples to drive home what this means for a company. That would be helpful. Sure, I think that there's a two, probably two ways to look at this. One is the the, the China-related WROs, uh, and then there's WROs that have been issued, you know, throughout the world. I think there's a lot of temptation. I think our I think a lot of people tend to think that this is an issue where the U.S. is only focused on China and has been issuing WROs only related to you know Chinese manufacturing. But the reality is, CBP has been very aggressive throughout the world. A couple of good examples. Um, 
glove manufacturers in Malaysia uh, have been hit with WROs, uh, alleging that they are, you know, there's indicators of forced labor in their in your manufacturing operations. Uh, palm oil has been targeted very heavily, with two of the larger Malaysian palm oil manufacturers being hit recently. Uh, and then another thing, just a flag for you, Terry, is that in a couple of instances, uh, CBP has actually even gone out and, and they'll do an entire industry based on in a region. Um, and I'll Dave give an example of that. I don't actually have it in front of me, but tobacco products, for instance, have been kind of labeled from, uh, and I, I apologize, Terry, just escaping me right now, the specific region. Um, but this has been an area, but just a much, much greater enforcement of late um, and a wide array of, of companies. And as, as Dave said, typically companies that have been singled out and targeted by non-governmental organizations focused on forced labor. Uh, and oftentimes the company's not even aware that an allegation has been rendered against them uh, before they find themselves subject to this order. Yeah, it sounds it sounds kind of frightening if you don't know that an allegation has been levied until you're pretty far down the pike on this. And I understand that. Um, it may not even be the company you're directly doing business with, but someone they're doing business with. Dave, you want to address that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's the whole idea that you have to view your supply chain. It's critically important that you uh, you look to look to your supply chain. And there's also you know other other laws in the UK, and, and there's a California rule about it as well that kind of mandates you you spend some time in thinking about where do you get your products from. I think there's a there's kind of a tendency from uh, especially U.S. businesses to think, well, you know, I'm not going to worry about it so much, you know, what, you know, until it shows up on, on, uh, on, you know, the dock in, in Long Beach or Savannah or wherever it comes into the U.S. from, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. But in reality, you really have to go back into and say, well, where did this stuff come from? Who's making this? And, you know, sometimes that, that involves it. Who's making a product, not, not that directly goes into your business, into your product, but something that is kind of a very base, you know, the, the base elements of what your product is. And, you know, that requires, you know, asking some very difficult questions, putting some policies in place. And uh, it really requires uh, companies to, you know, do some level of audits and oversight. And audits are important because they're, they're the kind of things that, uh, you know, the government's going to be asking for if you've, if you've done these audits. And these are not audits where you, uh, you know, tell everybody that you're coming, you know, I think it's, that's the thing that the, being unannounced, I think is very important that you, uh, you know, you, you kind of, uh, you know, have something that is, is uh, unannounced and, and something that, that doesn't have a lot of restrictions on it. So, you know, we, we really are, are pushing our clients to be thinking very seriously about, you know, what their supply chain is, look at the entire supply chain and put really a, a system in place that uh, constantly analyzes and reviews its supply chain to make sure that some of these issues you know, the, if they do have risks, that they're mitigating those risks in some very meaningful way. I want to just follow up on something Dave mentioned that I think is very important. It, companies need to look at two different issues here. One is, could we in our workforce, you know, are we susceptible or, or vulnerable to an allegation that we're using forced labor? I think the second point, though, is are, we need to look at your supply chain. Is there a possibility that we're purchasing goods from companies that may themselves be subject to a forced labor claim or that may be subject to a WRO? Um, and I think, you know, a lot of our clients right now are scrambling because their supply chain was relying on companies that have now been hit with a WRO. And when that happens, you need to very quickly, you know, find alternatives because your products, even though you did not, you're not using forced labor, because your products contain a product that was manufactured with forced labor. Um, your products are now being seized by customs at the ports of entry and not being admitted to the United States. So it's really, like I said, um, as Dave was mentioning, it's really, there's, 
two big issues here. One is, is my workforce, you know, based on the way we use our workforce, how we obtain our workforce, are we potentially vulnerable to an NGO complaint or, or a WRO being issued against us? But also equally important is making sure you're monitoring your supply chain to make sure that you're not buying goods from companies that are either going to be hit with a WRO. And certainly you want to be very careful to make sure that you're not, you know, purchasing goods from companies that have been subject to a WRO. That's where you're, that's where having good compliance plans in place is really the key, as Dave was saying. And, and some and some clients are, are kind of surprised. They're like, well, who's 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 looking over our shoulder? Who's looking at this? And you know, you there are tons of NGOs, non-governmental organizations studying this. There's actually an entire um, electronic platform, e-allegation platform that allows anybody. You know, Terry, you can you can decide that you 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 feel that there might be some issue. You know, you can get on the website and complain about it. Um, so there are lots of different ways. And and again, these NGOs are, are becoming much more aggressive and looking at these these issues that come up. So you know, it's better that you 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 know it's better you find out yourself than wait to have some other kind of organization or one of your employees kind of self-report or some other kind of supply chain issue come up. Um, that's going to lead to this. So it's it's not like you're doing this totally invisibly. There are lots of ways that people can get direct access to the uh, you know the Customs and Border Patrol. So it sounds like naivete or inadvertent ignorance doesn't cut it. And uh, so if your your merchandise, let's say, gets detained, what what can a company do? What are their remedies? C- call your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best, exactly. <laughs> Look, if, you, if your merchandise gets detained, I mean, I guess it'd be two questions, Terry. One is if you find yourself the subject of a WRO, what do you do? That's obviously a much longer and more complicated answer. But if you find your goods are being seized by the port of entry, you better very quickly, um, and this is why I think it's important for, for companies out there, going to that second problem, is my supply chain clean? What CBP wants to see is traceability. Can they trace back the origin of your products? If at any point in your supply chain, a company that is subject to a WRO, you know, their goods are somehow in your supply chain, you're going to find very likely that CBP is going to detect that. Uh, they have a pretty extensive network where they're, you know, and, and these NGOs are reporting to them, you know, who your customers are. But if they seize your goods, you need to have a traceability documents where you can demonstrate to CBP with very exacting detail that your entire supply chain is clean of any company with a WRO. Now, we can talk about what happens if you get a WRO. That, like I said, it's a much more complicated, difficult question. But what I would urge your listeners is that to you know, take a good look at the traceability documents for their entire supply chain. Uh, because if they find themselves a company somewhere in the supply chain, uh, or even where it's people believe that they're in the supply chain, they could very well find all of their imports to the United States frozen. And unless and until they can demonstrate to CBP um, that there is no sanctioned goods in their supply chain. Those goods are not going to be admitted to the United States. So I'm sure that um, with when you're working with clients, is there a, a department? You know, is it does it fall under legal? Does it fall under logistics? Does it fall under the board of directors? Who's responsible for examining the supply chain and, and mitigating the risk? Is it risk management department? Who do you see most often? I think it. I think it's it really falls. Yeah, I think it falls to the whole. You know, it starts with the board of directors because you have to. You have to create a policy, and a procedures around it. So the board has the ultimate responsibility. 
you know, to, uh, to, to look at these issues and come out with these issues. And, and there's also from the board's perspective, you know, there's also the, you know, the, the public relations aspect of some of this as well. You know, they're, they, uh, they don't want to have, you know, even the accusation of using forced labor is not something that anybody wants to be able to have, have uh, happen to you. So I think it's in their best interest to, to be thinking about this. But then it, you know, goes to every aspect of it in terms of, you know, how, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your logistics, your supply, you know, all those parts of your business. And I think, uh, you know, so therefore, you know, in addition to a lot of things we talked about, training is really important. We do some of that as well. So you can, you know, to train your workforce into these are the things you should be thinking about. These are what you're looking at. You know, having a great policy is, 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 is wonderful, but how is that policy being enforced? And we've seen time and again, where companies might have really great policies on the books, but when push comes to shove, and managers need to make decisions, they're making the wrong decisions because they're, they're either trying to avoid the policies or they don't understand the importance of the policies and why the policies uh, make sense or, or critical to their business. And that's where they, you need some real training that goes in, just like you know, FCPA training is important. You know, understanding what your rules are around supply chains, I think is becoming, will become increasingly important for, for folks to be doing, and not just you know, executives, but down to the people running plants and HR directors in various places. As a layperson, I think we yeah. most hear about it when you do see those inflammatory headlines. Is it a death sentence um, you know, when someone gets hit in the media because they, they had an order against them where they you know, were using forced labor whether they knew it or not? I don't think it's a death sentence, Terry, but I'll tell you it's a big blow. You know, and it's going to trigger a lot of, uh, you know, it's going to kind of get the dominoes falling of a lot of consequences. Um, look, as David said, I think, first of all, it's critical. And I think your survival after the issuance of WRO really depends on your track record going into it. So it's critical you have that corporate board policy at the top, adopting the clear policies that you are against the use of forced labor that you have very specific policies kind of governing. A lot of the determinations on forced labor are based on the international labor organizations, what they call their indicators of forced labor. So it gets into things like, you know, recruitment fees or retention of passports, um, physical and sexual violence. So the first thing is you just, if you have good policies on top, I think you're in a position to kind of defend yourself uh, publicly. And I think you're also in a stronger position to get CBP to lift the order as quickly as possible. I guess one thing I should emphasize is that these orders are not permanent. A WRO is actually designed to be a preliminary finding uh, based more on reasonable suspicion, but not on any final determination by the agency that in fact you are using forced labor. So in that sense, you know, the key is to get engaged with CBP as quickly as possible. You know, candidly, as, as David said, I mean, kidding, but, but very serious through council, council that has a relationship with CBP and, and understands these issues, but get engaged with them as quickly as possible to start providing them information that demonstrates, in fact, the allegations are false. CBP can and will lift the WRO. And there've been some cases where they lifted the WRO, you know, rather quickly. Um, but your ultimate survival really depends upon how much work you've done going into this, how clear those policies are at the, the very top. And then as David said, how good are your governance pro, you know, procedures to ensure that the workforce is actually complying with the policies? Um, that's, that's, that's critical. But you do get hit with one of these orders. You can expect there to be a massive public relations fallout. You can expect there to be complaints to, if you're a publicly traded company, to your securities commissions. Uh, about whether or not you've engaged in false statements. You can expect that the other countries will start taking a very hard look at whether you're complying with their requirements like the UK and their Modern Slavery Act. 
Um, it is obviously a, a just a nightmare to get hit with a WRO, um, but I don't think it's fair to say it's a, it's a death sentence. That's that's the other, the other thing to keep in mind, Terry, is that you know, I think maybe some of the listeners might be thinking, well, you know, I've been to our plants overseas. They're beautiful. They're nice. You know, the employees seem very happy. You know, you, you tend to go, always go to the worst case scenario that you think, you know, people are being you know, chained to their machines and things like that. And certainly, I, I don't want to minimize the fact that there is really horrible violence out there terrible things that are happening, but it's a, it's a spectrum. And I think that unfortunately people just assume, well, if we're not on that far end of the worst case scenario spectrum, we're okay. That's not the, that's not the case. Some of these are, are kind of standard business practices that have been, been around in a lot of countries for years, especially on, on you know, hiring workers and having them pay fees for, for um, to uh, you know, people that find them, you know, and employers holding on to passports, things like that, which have been standard practice which are now considered to be, you know, inappropriate and forced labor. So, so just because you think, oh, I've been to our factory and everything looks okay, doesn't mean you're okay. You need to really dig deeper into what are your, what are the, you know, how are your workers being compensated? What are their conditions of employment? You know, what are their, what's their ability to possibly, you know, if they want to change jobs, things like that. And those are the things that are, that the investigators are kind of jumping on at, at the moment and being prodded by a lot of these uh, NGOs, these non-governmental organizations. So I'm curious about the current environment from two perspectives. One, uh, and David, I think you mentioned this at the beginning, but um, do you see the enforcement activities increasing, decreasing, staying the same under the new administration? But at the same time, I wonder um, in terms of the labor in some of these uh, places that are you know, being watched, is the pandemic having any impact and in, in incre causing increases? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think you're right in both those, and that uh, um, I I do think that uh, we do think that the Biden administration will be equally as interested in this topic as the previous administrations have been. Um, I think they've, they've come up very strongly about you know human rights abuses that have gone on and and, and going about it in, in different ways. Um, I think that uh, you know the Trump administration, a lot of it was focused on China. I think that, that Biden still will be focused on China, but also on lots of other parts of the world. So I think you'll, you'll see you'll see that going. And then the pandemic has changed the way you know you know kind of the mobility of, of labor, which has uh, has created some issues for folks. Um, and once that opens up again, we'll see what, what happens. But I mean, I I don't think that uh, um, you know you know the pandemic is not an excuse. I mean, one of the biggest mm -hmm. you know big um, uh, you know you know, orders came down on a glove manufacturer um, from Malaysia with Top Glove, which was, you know, critically important to, you know, fighting the pandemic. We need lots more gloves, but uh, they were, they were, they had some serious allegations that, that uh, resulted in their um, goods being detained. And, uh, you know, so, you know, this is something that, that the pandemic, I don't think is going to stop. John, you want to? I've been in Washington a long time. I yeah, and no, I was gonna say, I've been in Washington a long time and I gotta tell you, this is one of the few issues where there's bipartisan consensus, right? <laughs> and, and there are different motivations behind this uh, on both sides, but you have strong bipartisan consensus to combat forced labor. In the days where for a long time, as Dave said at the beginning, for a long time, it used to be the US would look and see, okay, yeah, maybe this good is made with forced labor, but do we need it in the United States, right? Is there a shortage of it? But I think as the top glove example, as they've just kind of pointed out, is that in the midst of the pandemic, when there was a PPE, you know, a personal protective equipment shortage in the United States, CBP placed a WRO on a, a glove manufacturer. 
And it just shows you that, you know, again, that the days when the US is looking at this kind of consumptive demand are over, um, and there's a lot of political pressure coming from Capitol Hill, from both Republicans and Democrats on DHS to be more forceful in terms of issuing these, these WROs. And, and, and frankly, one other thing that I think you know, is important is, is that the forcing DHS to listen more and take seriously complaints of the NGOs. And it's given the NGOs a lot of power and the NGOs understand that and they're starting to wield this power. And if I may just echo one last thing David said is that there are cases where it's very clearly just terrible human rights situations, you know, prison camps. Where, where detained political, you know, detainees who are really probably there are political prisoners and they're forced to conduct hard labor and they're manufacturing goods that people are trying to export to the United States. And quite clearly, we need to bar those goods from the US. We should not give a market to anyone, you know, prison camp labor. But there are cases where you have companies that, are, that have very seriously invested a lot of money in human rights issues and policies and, and, and enforcement and compliance um, and they find themselves subject of these WROs. And those are the clients I think where, you know, that, that I, I hope, you know, there needs to be a lot of care in kind of examining the, the allegations, but I think it also kind of highlights how critical it is to have in place very strong corporate board policies and compliance measures and audits, as David was saying, so that if you find yourselves in the crosshair and you're one of those companies that has been doing things the right way and it certainly is intended to do things the right way, that you have a very good story to tell the CBP uh, prior to the issuance of any WRO. Wow, there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to do a follow-up webinars or paper or something for our listeners, but I wanted to give you each a chance to do any kind of wrap up you've, you'd like, any advice for companies that, you know, besides what you've already mentioned or any, any final thoughts? David, you wanna go first? Yeah, sure. I mean, thanks for the opportunity to talk about this. I think this is an issue that uh, you know the entire you know global business community needs to grapple with. It's 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 not a, just a U.S. issue. It's not just a U.K. issue, but it's something you know. Supply chains are increasingly global, and that uh, you know as you're thinking about this. So you know, hopefully, if you're if you're a lawyer and you're sitting there in in uh, um, Indonesia or in Singapore or in you know um, Tokyo or London or Berlin, you know, this is something that should be on your radar screen that you should be thinking, talking to your clients about. Um, you know, if you're a company that's manufacturing goods anywhere in the world and having it importing it in, you know, you need to be really thinking about your supply chain. So again, it's, it's not just simply an American problem. It's not just simply an Asian problem. Um, it is something that involves, you know, every business, every every lawyer in the, in the in the on the globe needs to continue to be thinking about this, you know, not just from a legal perspective, but from a societal perspective, and and the fact that uh, you know this is something that uh, you know is going to continue to get a lot of interest going forward. John, how about you? Listen, I would just echo uh, what what David said there, and look, if you are a company that's engaged in manufacturing and has operations in these high risk areas, which I would include, you know, Asia for sure, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, of course, but if you're manufacturing and have operations in those areas, you better have strong corporate policies. You better take a good look at the International Labor Organization uh, indicators of forced labor. Um, and you better make sure that you are dedicating ample resources to ensuring that none of the indicators are present in your operations. Uh, the days when the low hanging fruit of the prison camps that we mentioned earlier, I think the days when those are the only people who needed to worry about designations uh, as a forced labor user by the United States, those days are over. 
I think anybody who operates in, a, in these high-risk areas, and candidly, anybody who operates in a, if you will, a controversial um, environment. I mean, and, and again, you know, look at the palm oil. They're, the palm oil, uh, the environmentalist movement, of course, has been long concerned with palm oil. But this enforcement makes you susceptible. And I guess what I strongly urge you is to do exactly what we indicated earlier, make sure you adopt strong corporate policies and that you put some teeth into them and that there's governance behind them and that you're prepared to engage with CBP to explain those policies as quickly as possible. Uh, this right. isn't going away. It's only going to get a lot more aggressive. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking to John Sandweg and David Kaufman from Nixon Peabody. And uh, you are listening to the Terralex Insights podcast. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Terry. Thank you.